Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, well, welcome back to the Service of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. On today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, why is sexual sin so destructive? Well, to be clear at the outset, and I'm going to explain myself more than, than saying this, but here's the short answer. Sexual immorality, it means neglecting and defying the law of God in regard to sexual relationships. Uh, to, so today we're going to talk about the practical, the spiritual consequences of becoming a slave to your passions when succumbed to the temptation of sexual immorality. And the first thing to say is we live in a pleasure-oriented culture. And this culture is redefining sexuality for us as a personal right to be exercised any way that an individual wants, no matter uh, the consequences of it. It's all about personal preference and personal autonomy. In fact, sexual sin, it's considered a personal choice. It's akin to the, a decision to buy a house, what house you live in, or, or a condo you live in, or an apartment. Popular opinion is all but remove the word sin from our culture's vocabulary. The only sexual expression considered wrong is what is deemed distasteful to the definer. Social acceptability varies so greatly that, that even the vilest of acts would be considered justified by many. And so before we can even determine why sexual sin is such a big deal, we have to define sexual sin according to the Bible. Man has never been given the privilege, thankfully, of defining sexual sin or sin in general. This is up to the one who creates us, the one who sustains our world, the one who upholds it by the word of his power, the one who upholds us and, and gives us life and breath and who knows the lengths of our days. He, the Lord, is the one who created sexuality. And he, therefore, as by virtue of Kim being the creator, has the right to set the boundaries to sexual sin and to define it and to give those guidelines. And that is what the Bible does. When God created the first man, Adam, and brought him to the first woman, Eve, he joined them together in marriage and pronounced it very good in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. God at this time introduced sexuality. He, he set the boundaries for its expression. He, he, God created a union between a one man and one woman that he calls one man and one woman for life under God in covenant with one another that he calls in Genesis 2.24 and many, many other passages becoming one flesh. And then God defined any sexual activity outside of the husband-wife relationship as a violation of his gift. That what this means is fornication, cohabitation, homosexuality, transgenderism, pornography, uh, and lust, and all of those things outside of the, the husband and wife relationship. These are all violations of God's intent when he created the sex act. 
And so why is the violation of these boundaries such a big deal? And the first clue that we get is in Genesis 2.24 with the word one flesh. There, there is a great unifying power within the sexual union. God designed it to involve not only bodies, but hearts and lives. Sex was designed to consummate the lifetime union between one man and one woman in covenant with God. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 19.6 and Mark 10.9, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He designed male and female bodies differently so they would come together in an act of physical intimacy that joins them together for life. They are no longer two, but one flesh, Mark 10, 8 says. And so the act of becoming one, it creates a new family. And this powerful force also brings forth new life. The human race can only be propagated by the coming together of a man and a woman. And within marriage, the Bible tells us that God blesses the union of one man and one woman joined together under him in covenant with each other for life. And so sex is a gift to a husband. It's also a gift to the wife to make their relationship unique among all other human relationships. And as we know from Scripture, what God creates as good, Satan is going to seek to pervert, to counteract, and to destroy. In fact, at the very beginning in the garden, Satan began his insidious defilement in the Garden of Eden of this very teaching with in Genesis 3.1, has God said, and, and that challenge to the authority of God, it continues to this day. And when we use sexuality for entertainment or to satisfy our lust, our desires, our quote-unquote pleasure, we cheapen the beauty of this powerful gift and we defy the one who designed it in the Lord. And we also reap the consequences of our sin. Our, our sexual disobedience has produced a staggering weight of a world under the disease of abortion, perversion, sex trafficking, child molestation, enslavement to sexual sin, and sexual exploitation. God created boundaries for our good so that, so that we could enjoy his gift as it was designed to be enjoyed. Electricity is a powerful and it's a helpful thing if it's used correctly. But when it's, when it's misused or abused, electricity can be deadly. And the same is true of sexuality. Misused sex is deadly. Abusing God's gift produces problems such as abortion, poverty, rape, adultery, divorce, pornography, uh, sex trafficking, and, and on and on and on. Sexual sin <coughs> begins with temptation, as all sin does. When we refuse to acknowledge God's boundaries for sex, we allow lust to dictate our choices. And lust never leads in the right direction. James 1, 13-15 says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 
Well, another reason that sexual sin is so devastating is because it destroys the picture of the unbreakable covenant that God has with his people. And the Bible uses marriage as a metaphor to describe the covenant relationship Jesus has with his bride, those whom he bought with his own blood. Revelation 19.7 and 2 Corinthians 11.2 tell us this. In fact, in the Old Testament, God often compared rebellious Israel to a wayward wife, using adultery as a picture of the most heinous of sins in Jeremiah 3.6. God created the sex act to be a consummation of a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life, a covenant in which God himself participates. In fact, the marriage covenant illustrates God's unbreakable covenant with us. So to engage in sex outside of marriage, it, it violates God's intention and it brings very serious and dire consequences. Sexual sin defiles more than just our bodies and It affects us spiritually. Almost every book of the 66 books of Scripture renounce sexual immorality, indicating that God considers it a very grave sin. In fact, committing sexual sin, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.3, is directly opposed to the will of God for every Christian. Romans 13, 13-14 outlines the life God desires us to live when it says, let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Sexual sin is one more way people gratify the the flesh than walk in the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, that the pure in heart will see God. And so unrepentant sexual sin, it defiles the heart. It makes it impossible to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we wish to be pure in heart as Christians, we cannot engage in sexual sin. According to Baker's Evangelical uh, Dictionary, sexual immorality is this. Interpersonal activity involving sex organs that does not conform to God's revealed laws governing sexuality. The account of creation in Genesis 1 includes reproductive activity as an essential part of the developmental scheme. And so this important function is given special prominence in the narrative describing the creation of woman in Genesis 2. In a process cloaked in mystery, God takes an aspect of Adam and fashions it into a genetic counterpart that is uh, specifically female and which matches Adam's maleness for purpose of reproducing the species. Now, Adam and Eve are thus equal and complementary to each other of the same physical and genetic composition, apart from the difference that governs the, the characteristic nature of male and female fetuses. God tells them in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill all the earth and subdue it. And so sexual immorality is essential, essentially the engagement in sexual acts outside the sanctity of marriage the divine union of creating and fostering life. Now, in the few minutes that remain here, maybe in the next five minutes or so, or less, hopefully less, I want I want to call you to abandon apathy towards sexual sin, and I want to call you to repent if you're engaging in sexual sin. See, in our in our local churches today, 
uh, even even in the broader culture, this is quote unquote Pride Month, where our culture is celebrating this idea of of sex, not even between one man and one woman in marriage, but outside of that, one man, one man, one man with one man, and a, and a woman with a woman, and they are celebrating this idea, and the the Bible roundly we need to say, condemns this view. God created sex to be in marriage between one man and one woman for life. Men, so many men, are, and I hear from them all the time, are, are enslaved to sexual sin. They're enslaved to looking at the images of, of women that are barely even dressed on Instagram. Or they're engaging in in all sorts of things that I'm not even going to describe because I don't want to give you any options to find idea to give ideas. But the but the thing is, is not only are men doing this, but women are too. And the statistics tell us it's not just romance novels. It's you, it's a gate. Those things are a gateway. Like for men, Instagram is a for many men, Instagram is a gateway drug into deeper and deeper forms of pornography and sexual enslavement. But see, we need, as the people of God, to abandon our apathy, not only towards our sin, but also towards speaking out about sexual sin. We need to very clearly talk about sexual sin because God does, in his word, in the 66 books, that constitute the word of God, God roundly rejects any form of sexual activity, no matter what it is, and only permits it in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And that means that any marriage that is not between one man and one woman for life isn't a God-ordained biblical marriage. And I know I know that that's controversial today, but it is what Scripture says. God didn't say, Adam, go find another man. No, you're going to be one flesh with Eve. That should not be controversial at all among Christians, and yet today it is. There's so much I could say about that, but I'm going to save it for later for another time. But I want to call us to repent. Repent not only for being apathetic towards perhaps even our own sin, but also to repent for being apathetic about speaking out about it. We must be bold. Yes, we must, in a Matthew 7 way, we must take the log out of our own eye. We must see if there is any unpleasing way in us uh, and, and repent before we speak out. But, but we must confess our sin. We must confess, confess our sin, as 1 John 1, 9 says, and trust the Lord Jesus that he does forgive us. And by the way, we not only the, it's not only that the grace of God brings sinners to conversion and, and to Christ and to saving faith, but we as Christians, as, as 1 Corinthians 15, it's written to Christians in a local church that is very messed up. And Paul gives them the gospel of Jesus and tells them this is the grace in which you stand and which you believe. And, and the idea here is not just that the gospel is for the non-Christian, but that the gospel is for the Christian. 
We see it's not only at the beginning of the Christian life, as Lloyd-Jones would tell us, it's at the middle and the end and everywhere in between that the Christian, as Lloyd-Jones once remarked, that the Christian at every stage, in every sphere, in every part of our lives, we need the gospel. And so, yes, we need to repent of our apathy to sexual sin, and we need to repent of our apathy about speaking out about sexual sin, and we need to pray for boldness, but we need to, we need to ask the Lord to do business with us in this manner. Because there are too many married men and married women that are struggling with enslavement to sexual sin. We need to repent. We need to repent. You need to see what Christ has done for you. He paid the penalty. He came on a, on a rescue mission under the sentence of death to pay the penalty for your sin in your place and to be buried and to rise again on the third day. And no matter what your, what your view of the end times is, Paul, at the very end of his life, in, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, after he says, bring to, to Timothy, bring me my books and my clothes, he tells us that he is eagerly looking forward to the day to the return of Christ. Paul is eagerly looking forward to the blessed hope that is his and that is ours by virtue of union with Christ. And that hope should motivate us in the here and now to look to the, to the not yet, to the future day when Christ will come. That, that looking forward should cause us to analyze our lives and see ourselves rightly before Christ before what he's already done in his death, burial, and resurrection. Because of this, we should, if we're truly new creations in Christ, we should put to death, we should, to use a, 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 an old term, mortify. We see this idea in Romans 6, in Romans 8, in Colossians 3, in Galatians 5, in nearly every one of Paul's epistles. He is saying, look, this is who you once were. This is who you now are. Don't be who you once were. Don't go back to who you once were before you were saved. Be who you really are. Because you you have been saved. You have a new identity. You have a new mission. You have new hope in Christ. That's what I want to land today. Paul in Colossians 3 for one example. And then we'll close. He says, put off. Put off the former man, the old man. Put on the new man. The only way that you can do that, dear Christian, is because all that you have and all that you are is wrapped up in all that Christ is for you. That is that you have union with Christ, and that is who you really are. That is your real identity. And when so when temptation comes, when, when, when Satan's fiery darts come, you know what? Paul told us to stand. Stand, therefore, in Ephesians 6. Take up the armor of God. Take up who you are in Christ. And yes, the only offensive weapon that Paul lists there is the word of God, because the word of God 
All 66 books of it are for our good, are reliable and trustworthy. They're without error. They're without the possibility of error. They're for every phase and aspect of our lives, and it's binding on our lives. And so we need the Word of God like we need food and water and drink, and we need to read it and digest it. We need to take it into our hearts and meditate on it and know it. And the more that we do, the more that we will see our sin, like Isaiah did before a holy God, and we will say, woe is me. In fact, the more that we say, woe is me, the more that we adequately understand ourselves before a holy God, and the more that we will grow in the grace of God. Because a Christian life is not, it's not about us growing up this way, somehow ascending and those kind of things. It's As John the Baptist said in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. The, The path of the Christian life is not a path of upward progression. It's a path of steady, faithful, plodding, and growing in the grace of God through ongoing repentance. You see, you not only need to repent of your sin at the beginning of your Christian life, you need to repent in the middle, and you need to repent at all times, in every phase, in every part of your Christian life, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you never escape your need of God's grace, and therefore you never escape your need to repent. So that's why I want to say, and this is the last thing, just wrapping up, I want to plead with us to repent of our apathy towards sexual sin and our apathy towards speaking out about it, and I want us to fix our gaze, eyes as as Hebrews 12 once says, eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. And even after saying to confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us, John in, in 1 John 2, 1 tells us to look to Jesus, our advocate. He's our advocate. He's pleading our cause before Jesus is before the throne of God. So if you're struggling with sexual sin, I plead with you today, Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He alone is sufficient, and he alone is enough. And I know that today I went a little bit longer than I usually do, and I try not to do that, but this is such an important subject, and I really have only scratched the surface. And if you have questions or you want to talk to somebody about this episode today, please email me. As always, I welcome your questions and your thoughts and your feedback my email is dave at servantsofgrace.org. That is dave at servantsofgrace.org. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. And until next week, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.